0: Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Conversations on Conversations, where each week we explore a topic to help us have more powerful conversations with ourselves and with each other. I'm your host, Sarah Noel Wilson, and joining me today are two very special guests. I, you know, just a little context of what we'll be exploring today. So first, it has been our dream to start to have multiple people in the space with us in conversation. So I'm so excited to be able to experiment today uh with our two guests but more importantly you know this this topic came up quickly and what we're going to be exploring today is how can we bring humanity into the workplace, specifically when we're having to navigate layoffs and firing. So I'll give context of where we're at after I introduce both of our amazing guests. We've been having such a great pre-conversation that I'm, I'm eager to get into it. But so first joining us is Dr. Melanie Peacock. She has a PhD and MBA and FC, FCPHR. She's SHRM CSP certified and has over 30 years experience as a human. Perf- human resource professional. She's an associate professor at Mount Royal University and is also the past president of the Faculty Association. Welcome, Melanie. Thank you, Sarah. What else would you like people to know about you before we jump into introducing our our second guest? I'd love
1: people to know that I'm extremely passionate about human resource management. And as you've said, putting the humanity into the work we do, it's profound, it's impactful. I'd also like people to know that I'm just so grateful to be here to learn from my fellow conversationalist and from you. And the whole concept of conversations on conversations is so powerful to me. I'll share with our listeners in a vulnerable and transparent way. I'm still learning and exploring the power of conversations and learning myself about how to use that communication tool effectively and to be open, and to be authentic. And
0: it's a journey. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and and every and every moment in every relationship is different. I think that's the thing that I've learned on this journey of like connection and conversations. So welcome, Melanie. And now I want to take a moment to introduce my new friend, and someone that I'm so excited <laughs> to introduce you to uh, Maxine Woods McMillan. Uh, she is an employment attorney. And a little bit about her background, and she's a crisis response and prevention strategist in race and gender. She started her career in HR and realized that there was a place where the HR work stopped and the employment law took over. And so she took a break from her HR background, her career, so she, that she went back to law school, got her law degree. And now she has a real passion for you know helping the workplace work better. We were having a conversation uh, before we were coming on about just the impact work has. And we'll get to that. But but I have to just like a quick shout out for people who are listening. Um... At 6.37am this morning, I put out a call on Twitter and said, hey, we're having all of these conversations and dialogue around the, the layoffs that are happening at Twitter, as well as other organizations and seeing them done poorly. And, uh, and I'm just so grateful that Maxine reached out, was like, hey, we haven't met yet, but I'd love to be a part of it and have this conversation. And so I'm so glad that you said yes. Maxine, what else would be helpful for
2: us to know about you? Um, I think, well, no, Uh, to know me is to know that I am, unfortunately, depending on the context, all in or all out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And when I say that, I mean, um, when I am all in, like I am about workplace and ensuring that um, we co-create workplaces that don't replicate our homes because homes are not always a safe space, Mm -hmm. but we're intentional Mm -hmm. about the culture. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really not a proponent of, you know, this is all a big family. That is not a comfort Mm -hmm. statement for everyone. Um, um, but intentional about creating workplaces that, um, uh, reflect the culture that we say that we want and thinking about that Mm. in advance. So, you know, just not Mm. kind of reacting to what happens, but really being intentional about culture, um, so you talked about my HR background. Um, Employer relations really is my thing. Um, and also, um, I also have a background in mediation because mm. I think if we don't prepare for conflict, we prepare if we don't prepare to handle conflict, we prepare to have bad conflict. There's such a thing yeah. as good conflict. Um, but if you don't prepare for it, you're going to have bad conflict and bad conflict. Mm. <laughs> usually buries the initial issue and creates an entirely different issue. Mm -hmm. Like how do you terminate someone's employment? Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm, I'm really passionate about those, those areas. And it comes across in my consulting. And when I'm advising and counseling employers and executives on how they work in their workplace, how they are planning for separation. Um, Mm. And I try to use that term more so. I'm really also very intentional about Mm. language around um, the workplace relationships. Um, So, you know, for example, we might get into this, but I never use the term terminating someone. We're not terminating someone. Your personhood is separate from your employment. Um, We're terminating their employment relationship, maybe. Uh, We're separating from the employment Mm. relationship, but you're not terminating a person. (laughs) <laughs> right. Um, so that's me. I, all in, all out. I, and I, workplace is big.
0: I I, know. I, I love that. And, you know, and it's and it's interesting, you know, because similarly, we try to be really thoughtful about language in our world because, right, our words create our reality. And and I appreciate the language of separating, because even as I've been thinking about this and even as I uh, have conversations, I've struggled with all the language we use staff reduction, Mm -hmm. uh, right? Termination, you know, firing and layoffs. And I, and I appreciate the language of, of separation um, that you're offering Mm up. Um, You know, we're, one of the things that I want to just sort of start with is this isn't, this isn't an easy, this is never an easy situation for a company to go Mm -hmm. through for the leaders who are having to make the decision for the team members who may be experiencing it, you know, I can, I can think I can vividly remember the first time I ever had to separate from a team member. And it was, it was horrible. It was horrible, because it wasn't some obvious, like, egregious, illegal, it was just we had coached for so long. It wasn't there was, Quality that had to happen, and so there just became a point where there, there was like we weren't a fit for them, and I, you know, and they weren't a fit for the work that needed to be done, and and it was so difficult. And one of the things that I've been reflecting on that I'm, I'm curious just to get your both of your perspectives on is, in times of having to make difficult moments like this, there may be things that we can't do to make it totally better are perfect, right? Like losing your job is hard. Um, having to have these conversations is tough, but there's definitely things we can do to make it not worse. And so I'm curious just to, you know, when we talk Mm -hmm. about this idea of kind of bringing humanity back, I'd love to hear from both of you, what does that mean to you, right? To have humanity in the workplace sort of generically. And then what does that look like? Um, when we talk about these moments of having to do layoffs or separation from team members. Melanie, it looked like you were were ready to jump in. So I'll turn it over to you first.
1: Thanks, Sarah. There's a lot to unpack. And you've really acknowledged some key points. I'm going to start by saying, I'm really pleased that you've acknowledged the difficulty around separating someone's employment, Mm -hmm. separating them from their employment. And I'd like to highlight that it should never be easy. Mm. That's the first Mm. point. Mm. I remember, and I've taken part in numerous employee separations, numerous. And I remember once coming into the office in the morning and my boss looking at me and he and I both knew that that day I would be meeting with a handful of employees and informing them that they would no longer be working for the company. And he looked at me and said, did you sleep well last night? And I said, no, actually, I didn't. And he said, good. Hmm. He said, because you never should. This should never be something that's easy for you. As soon as you are looking at it as so process-oriented and you don't understand that you're dealing with people and their employment, which is much more than just a paycheck. It's part of their identity. It's part of their purpose. It's part of how they fit in into society and other relationships. So first point, it should never be easy. Check. How do we make it easier, though, Mm -hmm. recognizing that it shouldn't be something that is an easy process and that's very rote or procedural? One, I think we need to start with finding support amongst ourselves and for ourselves. And by that, I specifically mean those that are actually involved in the termination processes. We spend a lot of time, as we should, and we will, I hope, in this conversation, talk about how to deal effectively and humanely with those that whose employment is being terminated. But I always encourage people to step back. We need to think about mm-hmm. those that are involved in delivering the news, whether it be the managers, the supervisors, the leaders, and often with the help of human resource professionals. Those people need to have check-in. They need to have coaching and counseling, they need to be able to support one another, they need to be able to share ideas, they also need to be able to step back from it, remove themselves from it and say, okay, I did my job, but I'm hurting. Acknowledge that and be able to talk to other people in a safe place. Last but not least, we also need to acknowledge the people that remain. Mm -hmm. And we talk about survivor Mm -hmm. syndrome and human resource management, we often don't spend enough time acknowledging speaking with thinking about the employees that are left behind they're often traumatized by watching their colleagues disappear i have worked with so many organizations and consulted with clients who will say oh we're not going to say anything you know what do you mean people are not going to notice <laughs> that 10 people are not here tomorrow like there has to be a strategic thought behind and a humane approach into Again, while respecting confidentiality, and I understand all of that and privacy and the logistics, but to just ignore it and to not deal with those that are remaining or left behind uh, is to an organization's cultural detriment and just to the detriment of t- t- treating people humanely.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, my 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 experience has been that when when there's lack of information doubt creeps in and what i lovingly say is doubt doesn't like to party alone it brings in distrust with them with you know at the same time like when we're missing information when we're not clarifying and you know and i appreciate you bringing up that idea of like how how do we support ourselves and those are some things we can explore more explicitly because we've seen some examples just in the recent past of because these conversations are now happening on Zoom, and people are recording them, and now we're seeing them. And sometimes there can be, there's a difference. We've seen we've seen situations where leaders take ownership, and then we've seen conversations where leaders have made it about them and their pain instead of focusing on. And so that idea of having that safe space to say, I'm a human who also needs to process this the person i need to process with how difficult it is is not the person that i'm letting go like that's not the conversation to do it maxine i'm curious to hear Correct. your thoughts either you know what's coming up for you as melanie is talking or going back to the initial conversation of what does humanity in these moments look like
2: So everything uh, Melanie said, absolute cosine on on those ideas Um, to extrapolate a little bit further um, and also to kind of play off what I talked about earlier about language. um, I think it's really important in having these conversations that were intentional about the language that we use. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, one of the things I would always say when I was back in HR and I tell people now um, in, in advising them is. Very rarely. There are very rare situations where a separation should be a shock. Now. We're not always rational, <laughs> you know, in the emotive <laughs> moment of the separation, right. right? But you should be able to refer back to once you've calmed down, however long that takes you. You should be able to the the employee, the person who's um, being separated from the organization. They should be able to refer back to previous conversations. If you do not, if you are not preparing. For the possibility of separation, you are preparing for Hmm. separation, even if you haven't had the conversation. So, you know, there's this concept that people are talking about now about quiet quitting, right? Mm -hmm. Where people are still sitting in your organization. um, And there hasn't been a separation conversation. They're still on the payroll, but for all intents and purposes, they have checked out. They are no longer there. They are not your advocate or the advocate of your organization. And, to some degree, they're actually working against the organization. That's the kind of thing that happens when we act like separation is the be- the boogeyman and mm. we just know it's uncomfortable, so we never talk about it. Mm. So I'm not saying that we should be walking around saying, you know, you can get fired tomorrow, right? No, that's creepy. <laughs> that is creepy. <laughs> and that creates an environment where, you know, no one really feels comfortable to, to be their best self and to, to, to do the vulnerable work of giving their best to the organization. Because this might be the day I get fired. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, for example, if you're separating from an employee, you need to be able to refer back to somewhere in your values, somewhere in your mission statement, something about your organization that that employee has done or is doing that does not connect with that. That's Mm. going to ring very hollow if you don't talk about your values Mm. on a regular basis, Mm. if you're not if you're not connecting your work consistently and constantly to your mission, to why we do this thing so that when there's a breach of that continuously communicated contract. And I don't mean contract in the legal sense. I mean it Mm -hmm. in the interpersonal contract of how and why when I don't quite feel like doing it on this rainy Wednesday morning, I drag myself out the bed anyway to do this because I have a connection to this gig other than it being a gig, right? If you're not constantly communicating that, living that, um, exploring that, connecting that, if you're not making those connectors, then when you try to pull that out, You know, and blow the dust off of it and say, hey, you didn't connect with our mission statement. You know, yeah. I'm already thinking in the back of my head, oh, wait, you know, my kid was supposed to get braces and I was going to go on vacation in two and a half months. And now I got to figure this out and figure that out. And how am I going to pay for child care? And I'm already thinking all of that. on on top of it, you have the audacity to insult me with some mission statement that you dragged out that was like maybe in the lobby somewhere or in my onboarding paperwork with the 957 yeah. other <laughs> pages that I signed that I haven't heard for the last Entirety of my tenure here, you have now prepared yourself to foster resentment. Mm. And then it looks like you know, putting on my lawyer hat here, um, it looks like there is another reason, mm. right? Um, mm. So, I, you know, I recognize that everyone's not in the same state in the U.S. or in the same country, but generally you can you can terminate someone's employment. You can separate employment for any reason if you're in an at-will state um, in the U.S. Um, that is not discriminatory. But if you give a reason yeah. that sounds, you know, purely BS, excuse my French, Mm -hmm. if it sounds purely BS, you're creating an environment where you're making me think, okay, there's, there's gotta be something else because that's not logical. Um, And so what I tell people all the time is to constantly and consistently communicate why we're here, what we're doing, what the expectations are, aside from the HR performance metrics and all of that. But generally those should be connected to the mission and vision. So that when they're not when there's no longer that connection, then it's you liberating that person to go somewhere where they are connected to a mission and vision.
0: Yeah, there's there's a couple of things that you mentioned, Maxine, that I want to highlight and for us to explore further, you know, that one of the things that I know I've observed uh, during my time in HR now working with so many HR professionals is the. The avoidance of not having the conversations, the avoidance of not—and one of the things that I've learned is that the comfort we gain in the short term almost never outweighs the damage in the long term. And I think, as you know, leaders we see this or managers that it's um, you know, or they think they think they're being direct, they think they're being clear enough, and that's something too that I've that I've paid attention to is sometimes we confuse discomfort with clarity. Right. I'm uncomfortable. Therefore, I had the tough conversation as the manager when, in fact, I w- probably wasn't clear at all. So that was something that was coming up for me. And and I'm curious to, to hear from both of you. Like, you know, you were talking about how do we how do we just embrace that? Probably more likely than not, on both ends of the spectrum, this relationship is going to be temporary. I mean, you didn't say it exactly like that, but that's what was coming up for me of like, that's part mm-hmm. of. This, you know, it's, we aren't in the world of you stay at a company your entire life. Like, you know, my, my dad, that, that was, th- that was the world I grew up in, right? Like he was mm-hmm. a union truck driver and he, it was they, that. And so I, I think that's a really interesting perspective of not from a fear base, like you were saying, it's not about being afraid, like, oh, mm-hmm. at any moment, but to recognize Liberation. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I've, that I'm, it's Yeah. And, and because I think sometimes we can be so afraid, or I see people be so afraid to get close to their team members that they serve, to, to care about them, because they're like, what if I have to fire them someday? So they withhold mm-hmm. care and concern. And I mean, so I have, I have a lot of thoughts. So I'm just going to turn it over to the two of you to see like what, what's coming up for you, or Melanie, what's mm-hmm. coming up for you as we talk about that that idea of liberation, I think, is really powerful.
1: Yeah, I'm going to answer, Sarah, in a very weird slant, but Maxine, thank you so much. That's a powerful word, liberation. And when you address those questions, I think of an article I read recently that said, until we admit and fully face our own mortality, Mm. in other words, we understand that one day we will pass away. It is only then that we can truly live. Mm. So, Think about taking that philosophy and applying it to work. Nothing's permanent, right? It's not permanent. But can you imagine approaching every work situation, every day, every project, every interaction by thinking, oh, no, I don't want to give my all because I might not be part of this going forward. Hmm. Oh, no, I don't want to connect with Maxine and share a meal with you. And by the way, Maxine, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Because I have another saying, which is we are truly not friends
2: until we share a meal together. together.
1: And a beverage in there too. And a beverage in there too, my friend. I can see this in our future. (laughs) But can you imagine? It's fear-based. Yeah. And that's what leads to quiet quitting is fear. Right. Once we acknowledge and face our fears and then say, "Okay, a little bit of pardon the expression, let's find some ways to move through it. Let's get over it. Let's get beyond it. Then we truly live. Then we truly give in our organizations. And we can't always begin with the end in mind, because when it comes to a career, when it comes to an employment relationship, we don't know the end. We don't know what the end will be. It could be something that's imposed upon us by the organization itself. It could be something imposed upon us by the higher power. Something happens in our lives that means we have to end our employment relationship. It could be a choice. Imagine that. Mm -hmm. We could ultimately choose, to, and we don't know that that's going to happen yet. So there's so much possibility. Acknowledge it. Understand its temporary nature. As Maxine has said, that's liberating. Because then we can truly be in the moment. Mm -hmm. We've kind of gone on a tangent here. I think it's, I mean, I wasn't expecting us to talk about
0: like larger life questions of, you know, mortality, but, but, but we're human. We'll be back with more of this conversation after this. And in thinking about this idea of like a mission together or this like relationship, I, 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 when you are on the receiving end, uh, it's it's hard and it's tough even if even if you know it's temporary right so we don't certainly don't want to minimize that lived experience especially when it's like my stability I'm the breadwinner I'm right like I'm I'm pregnant and I just got let go and so like there is that and you know and 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 going back to the whole kind of like start of this is like there's so much suffering already <laughs> in that moment how how do we you know, to the words you both have been using, be more intentional about it. How do we be more thoughtful about it? How do we be more supportive with it so that it doesn't feel like such a whiplash? I, I, I want to, well, let me pause and Maxine, I'm curious to hear what like you've been chewing on. And then I want to share with you both. Somebody sent me a direct message while we were on and I want to share their experience and hear from both of you, your reaction.
2: Okay, so I want to say two things. One, I want to acknowledge the privilege that I'm standing in when I talk about, you know, how Mm. liberating this can be. It does not feel very liberating Mm. when your job is your connection to sustenance and it barely was doing that, right? Um, Right. I think that's incredibly important to acknowledge that Mm. Mm -hmm. the conversations around these, these how do we do it? lend themselves to larger conversations internally about how we advocate to create the workplaces that need to be created and uh, need to be sustained such that people are not tied to a job to survive, and there's no net whatsoever. Yeah. Right. And that happens when we don't have, you know, fair compensation, when we don't have um, laws and statutes and regulations that regulate how a person can communicate about another person such that reputational harm um, impacts mm-hmm. how that person can move forward in their professional life. Um, so I acknowledge that there's some privilege there in that conversation. Okay, I want to make that really clear. I'm not blind to that reality. Um, Mm. The second thing that I want to that I want to say is um, and I think it really came out of something Dr. Melanie was saying, um, I think it's important to recognize that there has been a shift when we talk about uh, the the lack of permanence in our employment relationship, that with that with the choices we are able to make, that lack of purpose, lack of permanence, excuse me, can be really liberating. When we understand that our entire identity is not defined by an employer. That, um, someone giving you a job and giving you a title is not the only title that brings value mm. to your personhood. And so it's incumbent mm. upon us as humans to define ourselves in the entirety of our personhood such that our validation is not external and solely acquired by the workplace. And then we have to create environments and societal norms that perpetuate that and celebrate that. So that, you know, Bravo. It, I know <laughs> I'm like, I'm, we're at the church of Maxine right now. And I'm like, just keep going, keep going. Like, I mean, it's sign so me up, important. take my money. It, but Think about it. Think about how important it would be if like, I just saw, I'll I'll, I'll talk about Maxine. There are people, Mm -hmm. not you lovely people, but I have been this person, the person that's talking to you right now, I would say for about the last decade or so. I haven't been an attorney that long, but there are people who go out of their way to talk to me now because I have the title attorney, but seven, eight years ago, literally would disregard what Mm -hmm. I was saying, which is no different than what I'm saying now. Because at the time Uh I had SPHR behind my name. You know what I mean? Uh And SPHR Uh did not have the same um, societal, you know, uh, sheen on it, shall we say, as ESQ. And so we have to be really intentional about defining ourselves and how we respect people and how our personhood is not fully put into the, um, the place that we work at. There's a difference between the place you work and the and the work that you do, right? I am always, mm. no matter where mm. I work, I am always going to be connected to workplace equity over workplace equality, race and gender not being definers of opportunity but definers of contribution. Those are things that are important to me, and I had to do that work um, to define mm. what what's important to Maxine's work so that it wasn't always connected to where Maxine works, so that if that relationship shifts, it doesn't shift the totality of the foundation and predicate of my personhood.
0: I love everything that you're saying. And it, it, this is, I mean, these are some conversations that I've been engaging with, with having with some you know, friends and colleagues and have been reflecting on, oh gosh, Nick and I, we talk about this of... You know, I mean, part of it, and speaking from an American culture perspective, uh, you know, just just yesterday, oh God, I mean, there's so there's so much to like unpack in what you you've put forward. You know, I was talking with my colleague Stephanie Chin, and you know, we were talking about it didn't always used to be that we were defined by work. That wasn't a forever thing that's a relatively new thing, kind of since the boomer generation, if you will. Um, And that was a perspective she brought and we were reflecting on, you know, like, go down, you know, part of that is how work has shifted, though, too, right? Like, uh, you know, manufacturing and agriculture and all of that was, you know, very different. And, um, and, you know, and and, I mean, like, now we're getting into, (laughs) now I'm like, I just want us to talk about what's the world like future of work need to look at like, because, you know, part of the challenge I, I see is, um, you know, part of the reason it becomes so much of our identity is because we spend so much of our life at it, right? Exactly. Like most of our life is spent at that. And I think that that's like the bigger question of should it? <laughs> I know I don't want it to be and I would love to see a world where that's not the case. And so I mean I have lots of opinions about <laughs> like how do we decentralize work from our lives like it's one piece of it and you know and I I really love that that was a that was a journey for me too of realizing that like I'm not this role the impact I want to make in the work world is with me always regardless of where I'm at and like and you know because that that That's loss right. of I you know when I think of the the Twitter layoff when you work for an iconic company and you're working for a culture that feels great and you love it, it's easy for that to become even more. I mean, they're tweeps, right? Like that's what that's they like, yeah. lovingly refer to themselves as, like tweeps, and it becomes this identity, which then makes the loss even greater mm-hmm. when that separation happens. And and so I love that. Like, how do we create some reframing a little bit? Like, it's great to and and I'm I'm just I'm literally thinking out loud and chewing so. I'm, I'm meandering a bit in my thought, but I there was a lot that was coming up for me. Melanie, I can see Dr. Sarah, Melanie. I, I
1: need to jump in because yeah. you're not meandering. You're hitting some critical, critical points. So a bazillion years ago, okay, not a bazillion. I've told you 100,000 <laughs> times not to exaggerate. Okay. Many years ago, when I had to separate from a key relationship in my life, I read a phenomenal book and I read... Other articles about the subject matter called decoupling. Mm -hmm. And what we're talking about is uncoupling or decoupling. It's separating who you are from what you do, or separating who you are from who you're with, right? Your value and all that you can contribute and give is not tied to that one relationship or that one title or that one organization. But as you and Maxine have astutely noted, we're doing a sorry, can I use this expression? You can beat me out. piss poor. <laughs>
0: we're doing a piss poor <laughs> Yeah, you poor can job swear on our society, show. That's fine.
1: A piss poor job in society of understanding that and being willing to acknowledge that and talk about that. You know, we began the conversation about separating someone's employment. So this is a form of uncoupling or mm. decoupling. Mm. And we need to have those difficult conversations. We need to be willing to reach out to those we know that are going through this process. Mm. If we have friends, colleagues, you know, and saying what you do and where you do it is not who you are. And we need to reinforce that and help them decouple.
0: Mm. And that needs to be part of the process. Yeah. And there might might be some real grief there for some folks, too. I mean, like, as we Mm -hmm. think about... How do we show up for people? Like, let's say, you know, somebody with whom has been who has been impacted. And, you know, and again, there's layers, right? Like, let's talk about privilege. Like, if I'm the main person and now I don't have any income, I'm not thinking about purpose. I'm thinking about food on the table and a roof over my head and being able to, like, have gas in my car and all of that. And even for workers who will probably be OK. Right. When we look at, like, the the Twitter folk, for example, um, there's high demand for their work. There's companies, hopefully, many of them will find their way forward. Hopefully, right? I mean, who knows in the world that we're in, I think we're just seeing the start. It feels like we're just seeing the start of what's going to be more of these types of announcements. But but when we talk about the, the, the decoupling, right? And as we're talking about how do we create the for ourselves and supporting others to help us see that our identity is in our job, right? There's also going to be loss. And you know, what I was starting to share is that even when I left a company that I love to do something that I knew I was going to love even more, there was grief, right? There was a Mm -hmm. loss there. And that's something that I've Mm -hmm. had to learn. And I think, I think that's part of what makes this feel when, especially when we look at how do we have these conversations in the virtual world, in the hybrid world, and even before that. So I had, I had, precursored this. um, But I want to share with you uh, something that somebody shared. And let me bring it up a second. Um, This person on Twitter shared, the only time I got fired, they invited me to a meeting, walked in, they had the director of HR on Zoom, said we could see you on computer. They told me I was fired, asked for the keys to my card, and I was left stranded in a hotel. And you know when we and 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 the reality is is those are those moments are i think are probably more the norm than not and there's this um you know with the abrupt shutting off right like what we've seen with twitter is literally people are just logging in to see do i have access don't i and if they don't have access then they know they've they've been let go right and and how we as employers show up in that moment on multiple levels says a lot about what's the value, like, what's our values? Because if we're treating those moments so transactionally, my perspective is we're treating that those hard conversations so transactionally, it's transactionally to protect ourselves, not necessarily to take care of the other person.
1: Well, Maxine and I were both like, our eyes were like, open like saucers. Wow, like, wow. And you hear hear stories, right, about people being let go ironically through a tweet as we're talking about the massive twitter layoff um you know through a sit in your desk in your office if you hear a knock on your door it means you're being called to a meeting if you don't have a knock on your door by 11 a.m on such and such date you're Mm. safe i mean logistics about when you're doing mass layoffs and there are operational issues to attend to but there are still humane ways to Mm. do it you know and Who are we protecting, Sarah? You've raised Hmm. a good point. Are we protecting the people that have to deliver the message and because of their discomfort? And the issue becomes then, what does that say about the company? We can talk a lot about employment brand. We can talk about consumer brand. You know, it's short-sighted thinking, you know, short-term gain. Oh, I feel good in the moment because I'm doing this in a way that I don't feel discomfort. But what does that mean for people that will not work for me in the future? What does that mean for the people that remain? How are they really working for me? Right. Or is there, are they just showing up and like thinking, this is really, I'm just sticking around for the paycheck. We've killed their lack of purpose hmm. and connection and anything else. Why would people want to buy from our company, mm-hmm. service products, anything, if they know that this is how we treat people? So these are strategic choices. Now, I'll close my comment on this, which might seem like a contradiction. All this said, one thing I've learned with the numerous terminations I've been a part of and consulted on is it should be a quick process. Sure. The the termination process itself is not the time to be having those important discussions uh, that need to have occurred. I know in the pre-conversation, Maxine had said, you know, this shouldn't be surprising a person. This shouldn't be the first time barring unforeseen circumstances. This shouldn't be news to them. It's amazing how it is. Sometimes they they still are surprised. But regardless, the process needs to be quick. And it's not the time to be having the deep discussions. So because it is a quick process, as in not a lengthy conversation, there are and should be some supports available to the person. Boom, boom, boom. Very procedural. Even with mass layoffs, there is a way to do it humanely. Mm -hmm. Because we're not talking hours and hours and hours for each person. So quick. Quick. Is humane, but quick doesn't mean surprise. And I'm leaving you in a hotel room. Uh, that's a new definition of
0: leaving someone in the lurch. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you you can it can be quick and thoughtful, and you can offer Correct. support on the back end, and you can do it in a way that honors like the person and takes ownership right from your perspective. Maxine, I want to know what you're
2: chewing on. So I'm thinking of um, some of the practical things. Um, you know, there was a time when I was an HR consultant and I worked specifically with small business owners um, in in the market where there were interacting with family relationships because we understand that there when there is a family dynamic incorporated in the workplace relationship, there's some things shift a little bit there. Um, and so if you're if you're a person that is in charge of this process and it really should be a process. We have Mm -hmm. to make sure that we're clear that separating uh, an employee from the organization, separating the employee's um, employment relationship is distinct from the process. The conversation, as Dr. Melanie said, Mm. should be quick. The process Mm. is pretty extensive. If you're doing this right, Mm. it's kind of so the way I Mm. think about it is it's kind of like a wedding, right? Right. You get married when you say, I do, I do, I now pronounce you, right? <laughs> but if you've ever done a wedding, you know, I, I just, I mean, I, I remember at one point I was just like, you know, screw it, we're married. Like, I, I was just so yeah. <laughs> tired of trying to make decisions about cups and glasses. And there's this entire process and all of it is culminated with a couple of words That, you know, the whole ceremony itself, depending on, you know, you know, religious backgrounds and all of that, the whole ceremony is, is incomparable compared to the planning process of the wedding. And the same thing should be happening in your discussion. The discussion Mm. itself should be relatively quick, but have you done the background, um, work and have you thought ahead Mm. to how this is going to impact the employee? But also we live in a capitalist world and Mm -hmm. you have a business to run. But so have you thought ahead on how this is going to impact your organization and the other employees? So you've had the termination conversation. Now is not the time to figure out what this employee was working on, right? And who you're going to reassign them to Mm -hmm. and who has what passwords and who has what keys like all of that should be done way in advance, So that when you're having this conversation, you have answers both for that employee and also for the people who are left who now have to deal with the emotional, um, you know, the survivor's guilt, if they have any, or hopefully not, but or the relief that this person is gone, but also how they are going to um, make new normative uh, procedures for how they handle the work. Right. Um, Yeah. Even if someone else is coming into that space, you're going to have to, you know, figure out all of think through all of your logistics beforehand. So way back in another life, I used to also be a, a, a realtor. And when people were decorating and stuff, you know, I am not anybody's interior designer by any stretch of the imagination. But when they'd be talking about guest rooms, I would say the way to know how to have a really great guest room is to live in the guest room yourself for a weekend, Mm. Literally pack your bags Mm. and go stay in your own guest room for a weekend because there are certain things that you see that you Mm. feel when you are in the space yourself. So when I was trained, when I would come in as an HR consultant or when I was in that space myself and I knew people had to have HR, um, had to be HR and have those conversations when they were separating people from employment, it's it's a little traumatizing, but I would make them go through it themselves. I would do uh-huh. it. Um, uh-huh. and so one of the first things the one of the first things we did was we stopped having these daggone conversations at four o'clock in the afternoon. Because if you're having this conversation at four o'clock on the Friday, it's relief for you. You put it off all week. you no longer have to have the conversation, right. but now that person right. has no time to call and find out what their insurance options are and what you know what they're gonna change to. and you know, so now they have the whole weekend to just sit there and stew with all the what ifs and how can and how do mm-hmm. I and blah blah blah. You know, it, 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 those are the kind of things that until you've lived it yourself, you, you don't really think through the rationale of, okay, wait a minute. Um, if I do this now <laughs> and I'm saying, here's your final check, you know, here are all the things that they're going to have to change. Those yeah. are the kind of things that happen when you go through it yourself. So I would make them walk through that process themselves. We changed things, mm. different, th- different things as a consultant. I've seen people change after I've kind of walked in the door and made some suggestions the time of day you have it what day you have it what's happening immediately after you cannot make people fake the Mm. reality it's it's kind of like grandma dying and then you're like okay well let's go on a family vacation well even if it was planned (laughs) guess what we're gonna reschedule some stuff because grandma died okay um When someone leaves an organization, this is not the time to immediately go into, like, you know, great team building exercises. You know, let's acknowledge the reality of, like Dr. Melanie said, this person just left. Like, they sat next to me for two and a half years. I went to their daggone baby shower. Can we acknowledge that the desk is now empty? Like, and who's going to bring the donuts? Stuff that, you know, you're not going to really recognize <laughs> if you're not having those conversations. The other thing is, you know, I know that there's this new yeah. workplace thrust towards, uh, you know, transparency, and we have translated that to our physical buildings. But how about we not have the separation conversation in the fishbowl conference room in the middle of the daggone floor? Exactly. We have to
1: think and be humane, right? Like, why in the middle? Why? Why? zooming into somebody in a hotel room you know i would even have conversations and i love what you've said maxine about the planning it's plan 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 implement we'd have conversations should it be in their office or someone else's office with a closed door that nobody else is looking in because it's often easier for someone to leave do we need to have someone leave with them do we have cabs or Ubers or lifts uh-huh. available to take people home? Mm-hmm. I've done that uh. because they're so shocked. We want to make sure they get home safely. And mm-hmm. so then we arrange at our own expense to have their car, if they had a car on site, dropped off at their home the next day or later that day. You know, thinking about understanding what supports are available to people. You know, you mentioned not doing something on a Friday. Often that's, you know, Not prudent, especially if you know that someone lives alone and has little access to other people on the weekend. You've got to think through those things. Something as simple as looking in their employment file, if it doesn't have to be done on a certain day, don't terminate someone's employment on their birthday. (laughs) You know, like it's silly things like that, but it's the thoughtful, I have seen it all. You know, people will ask, Mm -hmm. what's the best day to sever someone's employment? There is no good day. You know, you can almost answer it facetiously on a, any day ending in a Y. Mm-hmm. But that said, it's all that thought process into those days. Timing, what kind of information, what kind of supports. I've been involved in termination meetings where we understood and knew someone had health conditions. yeah, And we were worried, even though they should know that it's coming, they're, we know that they're the kind of people that would still be shocked. We had medical staff on site in case mm-hmm. there was a health issue, mm-hmm. not purely just to protect us from liability, but to show that we actually genuinely cared about the person's health and well-being. You know, mm-hmm. so there are some strategic thoughts behind it. It's, it really is a process, and I love, Maxine, your analogy to a wedding. Yeah. Yeah, it's plan, 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 And it's even the planning after the fact, mm-hmm. too. You know, what are doing To make sure that the hall gets cleaned up after the wedding, that after the bride and groom have left, the guests are still there, you know, and what are they, you know, it's boom, boom, boom. It's all
0: that thought. It's very logistical, but that's what actually makes it more humane. And and planning for all different groups. I mean, you know, so people Mm -hmm. who are listening to this, right? Like, you're right. I think sometimes it's like we just stop at that conversation and we aren't thinking about either the reality for that person past the conversation. We're not thinking about Mm -hmm. the reality. I mean, as you just like so beautifully uh, illustrated. We're not thinking about the people who are left behind post that conversation. We might not even be thinking about us post that conversation. And yeah, that that analogy of the wedding was like, yeah, that is, that is, that is such an apt a- analogy. And that wraps up the first half of our conversation with Maxine Woods McMillan and Dr. Melanie Peacock. And I know that I've taken pages of notes, and we want to hear from you. You can reach out to us at podcast at sarahknollwilson.com. You can find me on social media, send me a DM, and let us know what resonated or maybe what questions came up for you. And if you'd like to find out more about our work and how we can help you have conversations that matter, check us out at saranolwilson.com. You can also pick up a copy of my latest book, Don't Feed the Elephants, wherever books are sold. And if you would like to support the show, please consider becoming a patron. You can visit us at patreon.com slash conversations on conversations where not only your financial support sustains this podcast and the incredible team that makes it possible you'll also get access to some pretty great and unique swag and benefits also if you haven't already done so please be sure to rate review and subscribe to the show you can do this on apple's podcast spotify just opened this up as an option this helps us increase our exposure so that we can bring on incredible guests like maxine and melanie today Thanks to our incredible team who makes this podcast possible, to our producer, Nick Wilson, sound editor, Drew Knoll, transcriptionist, Becky Reinhart, and our marketing consultant, Caitlin Summit Nelson, and the rest of the Snowco crew. And finally, a wholehearted thank you to Maxine Woods-McMillan and Dr. Melanie Peacock for saying yes last minute to having this conversation and really bringing their whole selves, their insights, and their wisdom. I cannot wait for you to listen to part two next week. This has been Conversations on Conversations. Thank you for listening. And remember, when we can change the conversations we have with ourselves and others, we can change the world. So be sure to take care, rest, rehydrate, and we will see you again next
2: week.